0: I have four questions for you concerning the afterlife. Will there be mansions in heaven awaiting the followers of Jesus? And number two, will we know each other in heaven? Number three, will we retain our gender in heaven? And number four, will we spend eternity in heaven Or does God have something different in mind for us concerning our ultimate destiny? I'll be answering those questions on this episode of Revealing
1: the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light.
0: What does the afterlife hold for all of us? That's a question that I'm sure echoes within your heart because I know it echoes within my heart. And we're going to be focused on that on this episode of Revealing the True Light. Now, it's primarily about biblical ideas, but I still believe that if you embrace a Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim worldview, this will be tremendously interesting to you, because it's an issue that concerns all of us. I'm going to ask four primary questions. Number one, will there be mansions in heaven? Number two, will we know each other in heaven? Number three, will there be genders in heaven? And number four, is heaven really our ultimate destination or something else altogether, or maybe a blend of two different ideas? So there's a lot of territory to cover. But first of all, will there be literal mansions in heaven? Now, my mother in love, Elizabeth's mother, loved the idea of a mansion on a hillside in heaven. And if she knew I was doing this podcast, she would not be so happy with some of my conclusions. So I understand this is a very tender topic to some people. And I still think, though, it needs to be dealt with, and we need to dig into what the scripture really means. So, thankfully, she's already in a heavenly state and not worried about what I'm going to say today. So, where do people get this idea of mansions in heaven? It's from John chapter 14. It's one of the discourses that Jesus gave right before he went to the cross. So, if you want to leave some of the most important ideas with people that you are teaching or instructing, wouldn't you reserve them for the last? So I believe this was something Jesus really wanted to be remembered. Listen to what he said. John 14 verses one through six, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus gave such a powerful response to Thomas. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, there's a little hidden mystery unveiled when you dig into history uh, concerning that statement, because The tabernacle of Moses had three veils. The veil to the outer court that led to the table of sacrifice, the altar of sacrifice. The veil to the holy place where the menorah lampstand and the table of showbread and the uh, altar of incense were. And then the veil to the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And those three veils were called the way, the truth, and the life. Traditionally, Hebrews referred to them that way. Well, what was in the Holy of Holies? The glory of God resting on the mercy seat, which was God's representative throne on earth. And so when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, that was his way of saying, you've got to come through this veil of my human personality, my human incarnation, in order to enter into that ultimate heavenly celestial holy of holies, where the glory of God is so intense, it's a light that no man has ever seen and no man could ever approach in a human state. Isn't that amazing? But anyway, in the beginning of this passage of scripture, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. So it's unquestionable, right? Wrong. Because to really discern what he was communicating, you've got to go back to the original Greek. Besides, it's illogical to think that you would build mansions inside of a house. That doesn't happen on the earth. No one's ever built a house and then built mansions inside of it. And Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. How big is God's house? Well, if God has no boundary to his existence, if he is unlimited in the expanse of what he occupies eternally, from infinite past to infinite future, there's no boundary with respect to time. And I believe concerning God, there's no boundary with respect to space. And so God's house has got to be large enough for him to fully inhabit So it must be endless. It must be indescribably infinite in expanse. Did he mean mansions? Well, if you go back to the original Greek, you'll find a secret. But first, let me quote three other versions of that particular statement. The English Standard Version says In my father's house are many rooms. That makes a little more sense. In my father's house are many rooms. But I'm not totally sold to that idea. The complete Jewish Bible says, In my father's house are many places to live. That's getting closer. And the Tree of Life version says, In my father's house there are many dwelling places. That's where I go. Because the Greek word that is translated mansions is the word monet and that's spelled M-O-N-E, pronounced a little bit differently. Monet, and Monet only appears in the New Testament two times, and the other time is in the same chapter, ironically, and it's John 14, verse 23. Listen to it closely. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. The King James Version says, make our abode with him. And so, the Greek word "monai" means a dwelling place for God. Your heart, my heart, regenerated, born again, becomes God's dwelling place, his monai. And so, when he said, in my father's house are many monet, what was he really communicating? if it's also translated home and dwelling place in another version of that scripture, Uh, if it's also translated abode, then don't you think Jesus was saying in my Father's house, which is infinitely indescribable in largeness and greatness and majesty, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, many spheres of existence, worlds without end, a universe that cannot be described. I believe personally, and forgive me, mama, (laughs) I believe personally that it means a lot more than just a mansion on a hillside. It means something of indescribable beauty and majesty and wonder. Now, some people refer to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, to explain John 14 that I just quoted. And listen to this. Paul said, we know if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked because the soul is naked without a body in a sense. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up by life. Now, he that has wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who has also given us the earnest of the Spirit. Earnest means foretaste or down payment. And I love the statement, he that has wrought us for this, because it's God's idea. It wasn't my idea to be a glorified, eternal son of God. It was God's idea before we ever got here. So some people interpret John 14 verses 1 and 2 in the light of 2 Corinthians 5 verses 1-5 through and they say we are the mansions that God will dwell in eternally. I believe that's over-spiritualizing what Jesus said. I believe it's wrongly applied to the opposite extreme where the idea of houses on a hillside that are large and luxurious is under-spiritualizing it to say that we are the mansions is over-spiritualizing it. I believe it means literally amazing destinations in God's great new creation, his wonderful new heaven and new earth. And will we understand prior to going there, what it's going to be like. No, I don't think it's possible because the Bible says, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So you can go visit the most spectacular mansion of the wealthiest person in the world that sprawls over acres, and that's not even to be compared with what God has in store for us. Next question, number two, will we know each other in heaven? I have had friends disagree with me on this. Owen, oh, by the way, we're still friends because we have learned to discuss important issues in scripture without falling out with one another. Uh, it's called the Berean attitude because the people in that particular region were discussing with Paul the possibility of Jesus being the Messiah. They weren't argumentative or hateful about it. And sometimes people get far too argumentative and far too hateful about differences of opinion on these wonderful matters that we need to ponder prayerfully. But anyway, my friend used to quote to me Isaiah 65 verse 17, where God said, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So he said, no, the former shall not be remembered. So I will not remember you. You will not remember me. We'll never remember any of our human relationships, nor any of our experiences in the world. And my contention was then our experiences have no value because then we can't learn from them. See, God explained why everyone can't go to heaven in Isaiah 26, 10 he said let favor another version says let grace be shown to the wicked yet he will not learn righteousness and in the land of uprightness he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the lord so in other words god was saying if people have corrupt attitudes during this earthly sojourn and they refuse to let go of them they'll have corrupt attitudes in a heavenly realm. So if God graced everyone with this universalistic uh view of everlasting life in a heavenly state, then heaven would become corrupted and ruined and destroyed just like earth has by evil people who refuse to repent of the evil in their heart. So once again my point is if you don't remember the lessons you've learned that point you toward righteousness, as being the desirable goal, then this whole earthly sojourn has been in vain. And besides, I've got some other scriptures to add to it. The logic is really shown clearly in a statement Jesus made about a woman giving birth to a child. Listen to what he said. A woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. Listen to that closely. She no longer remembers the anguish. Now, my wife is sitting across the room and she's taking care of taping this session. And I guarantee you, if I asked her if she could remember the pain she went through in bringing forth our son and our daughter, she would be nodding her head, absolutely yes. But she doesn't choose to dwell on that. She doesn't choose to remember that for the joy of having a son or a daughter. So it's not literal, it's metaphorical and poetical. When it said the former shall not be remembered, that's not literal, it's metaphorical and poetical. Just like Jesus' statement about a woman, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being is born into the world. Therefore you now have sorrow but he said I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you Another reason I believe that we will know each other in heaven is Matthew chapter 8 verse 11 where Jesus said I say unto you that many will come from the east and from the west and will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven and that's talking about the marriage the marriage supper of the Lamb, how we will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And my point is this, if I will know and be able to identify people I've never met, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how much more will I know those that I've not only met, but loved during this earthly sojourn? And that leads me up to another big question that people have. Will there be genders in heaven? And some people say, no, we'll be in some kind of neuter state, neither male nor female. Jesus did not say that. He said something similar to that, but he did not say that. And I have a reason that I believe you will still retain female characteristics if you're a female in this life or male characteristics if you're a male in this life. In Luke chapter 20, verses 34 through 38, Jesus said, And incidentally, this was in response to Sadducees, who were the intellectuals of that day, and they had intellectualized out of the word of God any faith in the resurrection. They did not believe in spirits. They did not believe in angels. And Jesus was responding to them about this issue, and he said, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world, And the resurrection from the dead. See, Jesus did not teach reincarnation, he taught resurrection. Big difference. He said they neither marry nor are given in marriage. He never said they would neither be male nor female. I know in Paul's writings it says in the kingdom of God there's neither male nor female, but that didn't do away with the sexes immediate upon salvation. All of a sudden you're not a male or a female anymore. He was talking about equality in the kingdom of God not the non-existence of genders in Paul's writing. But Jesus said, neither can they die anymore for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, for he's not a God of the dead, but of the living for all live unto him. And so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob maintain their male identity in the heavenly state. So you can be sure if you're a female that you will maintain your female identity in the heavenly state. And I've had subjective experiences that prove that to me. Shortly after I entered into the ministry, Catherine Coleman came to me in a dream. And whether or not God used her appearance to communicate something concerning my ministry to me or whether or not it was literally her is up to question. And we'll cover that issue on another episode. But she still looked like Catherine Coleman, like the female that she was. And my mother had an amazing experience. She had a stillborn child that she grieved over for many, many years because she felt like it was partially her fault that the child was stillborn because she went to a hospital that did not have quite as good a reputation as another hospital she could have gone to. But for a couple of reasons, she thought it would be the better choice. And the child was stillborn, whether or not it was the doctor's fault or something that happened during childbirth, all that's up to question. But it was a matter of great depression and great crushing mental pressure for my mother for many years. But after she became a born-again Christian, God gave her the most wonderful dream where this beautiful young lady that would look about 25 years old, if it was physical and in this world, walked up to her in this celestial world. And she said, do you know me? And she said, well, I don't know who you are. She said, I am your daughter, Catherine. And I never grew up as a physical human being. And she went on to explain, I don't remember the rest of the words exactly, but she explained that she was the child that was stillborn. And she had the appearance of a woman." Now, I know you can't base biblical doctrine on subjective experiences, but those two verified to me that, yes, we will retain gender appearances, but not the ability to sexually reproduce. He said they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and so there will be no possibility of reproduction in the heavenly state as the Mormons teach, which I believe is complete falsehood, but there will be gender identity. And finally, and I'm going to close with this, is heaven our ultimate and final destination? Because so many people say, oh, I just can't wait till I die and go to heaven forever. Is that true? Are you going to heaven forever? Now, I know that there's a holy city, New Jerusalem, that comes down out of heaven from God, but it comes down to earth. And of course, there's going to be a new earth. Now, the heavenly Jerusalem is much bigger than this particular earth could uh, could have. Uh, uh, there's no way a city 1,500 miles long could be set down on a continent in this world as it is now, the size it is now, but there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and quite possibly it will be a larger earth. And then again, the whole idea of new Jerusalem may be metaphorical and poetical, but the thing that really convinces me our destiny is different is Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10, where John sees the lamb that was slain for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the elders and the living creatures in heaven and and, uh, and others that I'm sure joined in with the chorus say, to the lamb of God, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests unto God, and we shall reign on the earth. You've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign not in a heavenly sphere, but on earth. And in his first sermon in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit not just a heavenly inheritance, but they shall inherit the earth. I believe when God creates a new earth, the glorified saints of God will rule and reign here with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe just as Jesus did when he got his new body, you'll be able to shuttle back and forth from the celestial world to the natural world, but the natural world will be saturated and permeated with the presence of God, just like the Garden of Eden was in the beginning. So those are four very important questions about the afterlife, and I hope it's been enlightening to you.
1: Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light, and thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global Internet family.